0: There in Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 41, let us now give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy word. And Jesus said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith in the book of the Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, Till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord. How is he then his son? And then in the audience of all the people he said unto his disciples, beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chiefest rooms at the feet, at the feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a show, make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. This is the word of the Lord. May we pray. O Lord, our God, we plead this morning that thou wouldst pour out thy spirit that you would send the Holy Spirit to minister thy word unto thy people. We pray that you would bring us under conviction, that you would bless those who need to find faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Every day in life, we are faced with questions. Questions related to family, to job, careers, all kinds of things in life. And those questions are posed to us daily. But oftentimes, questions are posed to us for more information. you go for a job interview, they ask you questions. When you're witnessing before someone you are given questions that oftentimes need to be asked. As we come to our passage this morning, Jesus here, before these scribes and Pharisees, asks a question. There are questions that Jesus has often asked in the Scriptures and the Gospels. There are questions of intent, and we have seen that already. Questions where He asks people a question he asks them to get to the heart of an issue there in Luke chapter 5 and verse 22 there Luke reminds us again as we have seen already when Jesus perceived their thoughts he said unto them why reason ye in your hearts. And so Jesus asked those questions of the heart. He asked those questions to determine what the intent is. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 4, Jesus says, why do you think evil in your hearts? He wanted them to examine their hearts and their life. And so Jesus asked questions a very uh, appropriate way. That's the the uh, ancient Greek way of, of teaching and discipling is to ask questions. But there are questions also of identity that Jesus asks. Jesus asked his, asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? He was not curious about what other people thought about Jesus. And we should not be curious about what people think about Jesus as the culture itself defines him. But he wanted to help them to see who he truly was and what that had for their lives. And so we come to this passage this morning with this question of intent. Jesus has already answered questions, but now he comes to answer his opponents. But in answering them, he asks them, a question. First of all, he asks them a provocative question. Jesus has answered questions posed by the Sadducees and the scribes and the Pharisees regarding uh, their relationship to the civil magistrate, regarding the resurrection and a number of other issues, and every question thrown at him. And now he asks them a question. He asked the most important question that relates to his identity. Who is Jesus? This is the most important question that you could ever ask. When you look at the parallel accounts in Matthew chapter 22 and in Luke chapter or in Mark chapter twelve, there in Matthew chapter twenty two, verse forty one, I think this is important to, to note. He says that the Pharisees gathered together after Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. In every instance in his life and ministry, Jesus always brings his enemies to silence. And now, after he has silenced them, Matthew says that they have gathered together. Luke doesn't give that same detail. Luke just goes into asking them the question in verse 41. But we saw in verse 40 that after he dealt with the scribes, after he dealt with the Sadducees regarding the resurrection, he says they asked him no more questions. They didn't want any more to do with Christ. But there in Mark chapter 12... Verse 35, in that parallel account, the question is asked by Jesus, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Christ issues a final challenge. He issues a final challenge to them as he answers the question of his authority. They begin questioning him after he cleansed the temple. They begin to question him after he preaches the gospel in the temple. Now he comes to the very heart of the question that you and I need to ask this morning. And that is, how do men say that Christ... Is David's son. Notice here. That Jesus does not beat around the bush. Jesus doesn't say. Well you know I got a question to ask. I don't want to be offensive here. No Jesus comes directly at them. And answers it. The scribes and Pharisees understood the scriptures. But he brings this question to them after all those barrage of questions, so that they might discover that he is the Messiah, the one who has come to give life. So who is this Christ? Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they all answered, Oh, some think Moses, some think Elijah or one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now he poses this question to these scribes and Pharisees. He posed it privately to his disciples. Now he poses it to the scribes and the Pharisees. It is the most important question one could ever answer. Sadly, many of us who have grown up in the church can can quote scripture. Even the devil quoted scripture when Jesus was in the wilderness. We can quote scripture. We can be familiar with it like the scribes and Pharisees. But really, it comes down to the fact, who is this Christ? He possesses to us that heart. He brings that heart-searching question before us. He poses it to us. And perhaps we might say, well, of course, I know who Christ is. I've heard that name since I was A little child. But I remember an occasion when I was living in Scotland, doing a church plant there many years ago, and there was a young child. I don't remember how young this child was. And we were doing some kind of vacation, or they didn't call it vacation, they called it um, holiday club. So we were doing a holiday club with children in the neighborhood. We were teaching the scriptures to them. And one child looked at me very innocently and said, who's Jesus? And I was astounded by that because I thought I wanted to say, well, everyone knows who Jesus is. That's like asking me, who's my brother or who's my sister? But as I thought of that more clearly, that child had not grown up with any instruction. And yet these scribes and Pharisees knew the scriptures. They knew the questions of which Jesus dealt with. But as Jesus poses this provocative question, the divine reality begins to come into play. They could not answer it. Jesus asked them there in verse 41, how did they say that Christ is David's son? Jesus wasn't looking for information. He wasn't just looking to stir up more contention. He was asking, who is this Christ that is called David's son? They couldn't answer it. They couldn't answer it because their hearts were so filled with unbelief. They had the scales over their eyes that they could not see the truth. (laughs) Funny, they were the Old Testament experts. They knew the law inward and outward. And they did not understand the question. Oh, how ignorant and blind men and women can be when it comes to the nature of Christ. You've heard all the ads ad hominem or ad nauseum. He gets us. Anybody tell me what that means? The world clamors at this thought of a Christ who loves social justice, who loves to feed people, who loves to do what we expect him to do. But how ignorant and blind we are to this Christ revealed in Scripture that comes to set the captives free, that comes to release prisoners, that comes to bring the dead to life. That is the Christ we worship. And that is the divine reality that comes before us this morning. Jesus imposing that question to them tables are turned now he's asking the question that question has two affirmations in it first affirmation is that he is David's son and David's lord i draw your attention to psalm 110 Because Jesus quotes this to them. I think it's ironic that these experts of the Old Testament didn't know Psalm 110. But there in Psalm 110, I don't think I've said this before, but when you see the title in the psalm in the Hebrew scriptures, it's always included in the verse, it's not the title our English translations put that there but there in Psalm 110 the Psalm of David, the Psalm written and authored by David, it says the Lord said unto my Lord sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool Here, Jesus takes them clearly to the most clear psalm in all of the Psalter regarding Christ. Scholars and skeptics argue over who this is that David speaks of. The Pharisees and scribes knew that David's son was the Messiah. That was no mystery to them. This must have been puzzling to them to answer a question that was so simple. And so as he comes there, he simply quotes verse 1. The Lord. And in the authorized translation, it accurately shows that it's in uppercase. The Lord, Adonai said unto my Lord, small letters, my Lord is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so the Lord speaks to Christ, saying, sit at my right hand until I have made every enemy thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. And here in this passage of scripture, Jesus tells them that Jesus here is portrayed as both Lord and Son. David looked for that day when a descendant would rule from his throne. Remember the scriptures that says that he will rule on the throne for how long? Forever. Forever. How is it that David could say he will rule on his throne forever? David died. And yet David's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and ruled as Zion's only king and he is still the only king to whom we worship and give our allegiance to. Isn't it strange that David would regard Christ as his son. I asked that question one time when I was doing some evangelistic work. I asked somebody who, I told somebody that Jesus is the son of God. They looked at me with a blank stare and thought, son of God. I didn't know he had any sons. He is the creator of the universe. He is the creator that has placed everything that we see around us into its perfect state of harmony. And he has no sons in the the proper sense of the word. And so for David to say that the Messiah is his son, how is that possible? Yet he's speaking of the fact that David would come and rule on the throne of his father forever. He will have complete victory over all of his enemies. That his kingdom is a universal kingdom that encompasses all of the earth. And so here the divine reality begins to set in. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Jesus is the one whom the Old Testament scripture says is to be worshiped and glorified. There in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this concerning Christ. Verse 7. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers flames of fire. But unto the Son he has said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And here is Jesus presses this question upon them. He has in mind those other passages of Scripture. Of course, he doesn't allude to Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, Psalm 102, verse 25. Here it is the Lord God who says unto his Son, Thy scepter, O God, is forever and ever." The Father gave unto Christ that rightful rule that belongs to Him. Christ is now reigning within His kingdom. That kingdom is not a visible kingdom that men can see. But that kingdom resides in the hearts and the lives of those who have committed themselves, submitted themselves to His authority. And so here, as Jesus poses this question, We remember from the genealogy, particularly in Luke chapter 3. And Matthew has the same type of genealogy when it refers to Jesus being born as the son of David. But here in Luke chapter 3 and verse 23... It begins in the genealogy that he is the son of Joseph and it goes down through that whole long genealogy. And as he lays out that genealogy, he says that he is the son of David in the middle of that that genealogy. And then he concludes by saying he is the son of Adam, which was the son of... Of God. And there in the genealogy it goes all the way back to Adam. The son of God. Long before they heard of this son of God. There in Luke's genealogy we have that royal lineage. Some of us can trace our lineage back to royalty. But here Jesus traces his lineage back to David. And shows that he is a far greater worth than any other king. He is a far greater worth than any other magistrate. He is a far greater worth than any other ruler. For he is the eternal son of God who became flesh. And that's what Jesus reminds them of. That as David's son he is born of the flesh. That he came into this world and put on true humanity. Took on body and soul just like we have. And yet he was fully and eternally God with no beginning and with no end. And as he is the son of David, he is David's Lord. He is our Lord for he is the Christ, the Son of God. Of the living God. And here. The divine reality. Comes into play. Because there is no other. Question. More important. In all of life. And I pose that question. To you this morning. Who is this Christ? Is he. Your Lord. Have you submitted. Your life unto him. To call him your Lord. Doesn't mean that you just. Give acknowledgement of. Oh yes. Jesus Christ the Lord. That means that every area of your life. Submits to his rule. Your calling. Your business. The things that you do. Every day. Every day calls into question whether he is your Lord. How you rule your families, how you train your children shows how much you regard Jesus as Lord. How much you relate to one another as brothers and sisters, how much we relate to even our enemies shows the depth of our understanding of who this Christ is. But then as he poses that question, he reminds them in verse 42, David himself said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And then he concludes by saying, David therefore called him Lord. How is he then his son? That's a great question that each one of us needs to consider. Because it's a question that really has eternal significance. It is a question that can be asked of no man. It is a question that asserts Jesus' own divine authority and calls men to repent and turn from their sins and to submit unto him. That's really the whole context of what we're talking about. They question his authority when he came into that temple. Who do you think you are? Why do you do what you do? By what authority do you do this? Jesus demonstrated here that he has authority over life and death that he has authority over the souls of men and the wonderful thing he says here is that Christ shall rule as king until every enemy is put under his feet this is a death blow to premillennialism I knew I had to get that one in there because Jesus rules now and he will continue to rule until every enemy has been put under his feet. All the armies of history, all of the the um, men like Mussolini and Hitler and all of these evil and wicked men will one day be put under Christ's feet. May it not be said of anyone here today that they were not warned that Christ will either bring you unto himself as a friend and as a brother or he will bring you under his feet as as his enemy. And then Jesus comes to the end of this passage with a warning. It's a strong warning. It's a severe warning. And it it strikes me, and I I want us to see this and understand this, because I think there's a sense when we go through the Gospels, it's a historical narrative, so it's a little different in how you preach it than something like the Acts or, or even like Ephesians. But it strikes me that when you look at this Christ... He is winsome. He shows compassion and mercy to sinners. He is able to take the most vile sinner and call them to himself. But he shows great compassion. But he also gives strong warnings that should be heeded. And in this strong warning, he says to his disciples... Remember in the context, they're in the temple area. It's a Passover, and as, as they're mingling, you can see the scene. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees were there. And then, in the audience of all the people, everyone, thousands of people gathered, Jesus says unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes, beware of those. Who were standing there as I asked that question. And here's the picture. Here's the warning that he gives. I think it's it's almost uh, <laughs> ironic how he states it. He describes them as the scribes, remember, were the lawyers. They were the ones who knew the law and could interpret it. And so they go around walking about in their long robes. They didn't just wear A robe to distinguish their office. That would be proper. But they wore these long robes. These frilly robes. Showing that they were important. And as they walk around in these long robes. They love the greetings in the market. Good morning Rabbi. Good morning Rabbi. They would love to hear that. And it says they like the highest seats in the synagogues. They love those seats that are prominent, where people can look at them and see them. They love those chief rooms at the feast. They're getting ready for Passover. We'll see that here in a few weeks. They're getting ready for Passover. They had special rooms for these religious dignitaries. They sat away from everyone else as they observe the feast. But then he concludes by saying, they are the very ones who devour widows' homes. And for a show or pretense, make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. Several things here that Jesus warns about. He warns about these religious leaders who were false in their religion. There are those who would propose that religion is a, is a vile and wicked thing. You'll hear people say, oh, religion causes wars. Or religion causes strife and contention. False religion does cause that. But Jesus is not condemning religion. He's condemning false religion. He's already shown us that. He condemns their false religiosity. He condemns their pride. He condemns their greed. Because the reference to devouring widows' houses, you can imagine what goes on there. Good morning, ma'am. I'm here to collect the tithe. And she comes and gives everything that she had. They had no regard for the poor. They had no regard for widows. They had no regard for anyone but themselves. And so they were greedy. They lacked compassion. They loved the places of honor. Now, notice Jesus does not condemn necessarily long prayers. Notice the pastoral prayer is not a short prayer. It's not intended to be. But what Jesus is condemning, and he does this in Matthew, that when you pray, don't announce your prayers. Don't pray as if you're looking for the applause of men. Don't pray long prayers so that people can think, Oh he prays so well that's not the important the point he's showing that they like the pretense they love the applause of men here's the question for us do we love the applause of men more than we love the applause of heaven do we love oh thank you that sounds so good thank you thank you i needed that do we love that applause Or do we love to hear the voice of our Savior? They they were greedy. They were inhospitable. They were selfish. They were stingy. And this is a point that needs to be driven home by way of application. Are we stingy? Are we selfish? Are we ungrateful? If we are, then we have that same false religiosity that these scribes and Pharisees have that Jesus condemns. Notice he says that they shall receive what? The greater damnation. What does that mean? Well, those who have received more knowledge, more wisdom, and reject it will receive the greater damnation. It's really a striking question here that Jesus poses because it calls them to consider their life. He's using this example. For the benefit of the disciples and for the audience made up of Jews. But here he says they will receive the greater condemnation because they knew the scriptures. They knew what it was to follow and look for that Messiah. But the warning here is not just for them. The warning is for us. Do we, if we acknowledge Christ as the Son of God, if we have submitted ourselves to Him, there should be evidence of that in how we serve one another. We saw that in Galatians. There should be evidence of that in how we treat one another, how we show compassion to those in need. How often it is so easy for us to pass someone by like, oh, poor, poor soul. Oh, that poor pitiful person. That's no compassion. But to come alongside and help someone and, and to render mercy unto them is the most greatest act of compassion, even if that person is your worst enemy. And so Jesus says, don't look for the applause of men. Don't look for those chief places. But here it comes down to this one word, humility. In our relationships to one another, how do we relate? Are we arrogant? Are we filled with pride? Or do we show compassion and tenderness? Now there are those times, obviously, when we fall short. Scripture reminds us that all fall short of the glory of God. But the, the life of of the follower of Christ should be noted in their compassion and their genuine love for others. Jesus is really in the whole context of Luke calling us to follow him. And so will you follow Christ? Will you give up all that this world has to offer to follow Christ? Because those who follow Christ will gain far more than what they will ever gain in this life. And the true identity of Christ, not who the world says he is, not who the pundits and the the philosophers and the educators and the politicians say who he is, who does he say that he is? He is the Christ. The son of God, will you follow him? Will you give your allegiance unto him? Because Peter, when he was asked, will you follow me? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words, everlasting life. So let us make that determination today that we will follow this Christ wherever it leads. Know that he will give joy to those in the journey. And the journey may be rugged. The journey may be long. But oh, our Savior gives us wonderful benefits of his glorious treasures in the midst of all of life's afflictions. If you don't know Christ today, I would plead with thee, with you that you would come unto him and ask that he would grant unto you his mercy and peace. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do say with Peter that Thou has the words of everlasting life. Thou art the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we pray that you would impress upon our minds these words today. That you would impress upon our minds the truth of the scriptures. We pray that we would go forth pondering that provocative question for each one of us. May we go forth with a determination to... To follow after that true religion, that religion that is not just outward, it shows in its heart, in its life application. Bless this word to the benefit of our souls, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.